Well, I hope you're awake. This morning, I want to start off um, by taking a poll. Okay, so it's going to require you like put your hand up real fast, put it back down. So I'm not taking names in this poll, so don't worry about that or anything. Okay, but what I want to know is of those of you who were here last week, how many of you remember what the message was about? Raise your hand. Yeah, that's what I thought. But who said that? See, I was going to say, and how many of you, you stole my, you stole my whole message. Like, right there. I was going to ask you, how many of you guys remember that it was about spaghetti? How many of you guys remember that? Raise your hand. Go ahead. See, you know. See, if you weren't here last week, my husband, who is, is normally up here preaching, he'll be back next week. He's with our boys away this weekend. But uh, he um, told the world that how I made spaghetti was wrong and how he made spaghetti. His mother made spaghetti was right. And I'm not going to get into conflict. She goes to church here. Um, although I did announce on Facebook that my way was right. So I guess that started that battle. But he pretty much told everyone that when we got married, the way his mother made spaghetti was to take the spaghetti, the noodles, and the sauce and mix it together. And that's the right way. But when we, get, when we got married, that I separated it. And so what he had to do is he would have to get his noodles on one side of the kitchen and then walk uphill through the snow, barefooted, to the other side of the kitchen to get the sauce for his noodles. And you remember it because what he did is he drew this picture, this mental image in your mind, something that you could go back to and experience. And what we do is we call those places in our mind that our brain takes in information and puts it into these little neat files. We call those schemas. Okay, and so we take in this information and our brain catalogs it in these schemas, kind of like when you get email in your inbox. Right. And so in your inbox comes this email. It goes into the inbox. But some of you, you take the inbox and you subcategorize your inbox. So when you get an email, you take it and that goes over here in work and you take this one and it goes over here in finance and you take that one and here goes over here with the kids. You take this one goes over here in recipes or something like that. Right. And some of you right now are going. You can do that? I didn't didn't know you could do that. And your husband's nudging you going, see, that's why your inbox is a mess. And you can't find anything in it. It's just like this running log of information. And you don't know where any of it is, right? Well, that's how your brain functions. Your brain takes information and it puts it in these schemas, in these files. Okay? So like a two-year-old growing up, you were this way. You, You have a child. Your child is this way too. Your child has a schema. You're driving down the road. Your child's sitting in the back seat and looks out the window and sees this animal that has four legs and a tail and a, and a head. And your child says, dog. And you look out the window through the pasture with the hay and the barbed wire. And you see the brown and white animal. And you say, no, it's a cow. And your two-year-old says, no, dog. Because they only have one schema for things right now. And and your child will only have a schema until it encounters at the petting zoo a a cow. Or you go cow tipping on Labor Day weekend or something like that. Or or you have, they have toys that they're punching buttons and they hear the sound a cow makes. Or books that they read and they see, oh, this is a cow. And then they create a new schema for new information. Okay? Now, think about it this way. Whenever you create a schema, 
what happens is you take that information and it logs it and you begin to see your world in what we call a world view. And the way you see your world determines how you behave in your world. All right? So think about it like this. If you grew up loving peanuts, they're salty, they're tasty, you snack on them, they're even better chocolate-covered, right? Or you get them mixed in the bag with, like, crackers and stuff. You don't want the crackers. You're picking out the nuts in the bag. And anything's good with peanut butter on it. And you love peanut butter. It makes you salivate and you crave it. And you go to the store and you buy it. Then you get married and you have a child. And that child eats a peanut one day. And that child has a reaction to that peanut. And you have to rush that child to the emergency room. You now have a new thought about peanuts. It creates panic. It creates worry. And what you think now about that peanut determines now a new behavior. You're now panicked. You now go to the supermarket. And instead of taking the peanuts and the chocolate-covered peanuts off the shelves and putting them in your car, you're now like grabbing boxes and things and you're flipping them over to see if it contains peanuts or if it was made in a factory where other things that have peanuts are. And it creates a behavior that you're calling the school to make sure that your child is not sitting next to someone who has a peanut butter and jelly sandwich at lunch, right? You have a new world view that has determined a new behavior. What I want to do today, if you notice in your bulletin, there's no blanks to fill in because we're drawing pictures today. All right? It's Labor Day, so who wants to work? We're drawing pictures today. And so what I want to do is I want to take some words that we throw around here at Grace Point Church, some phrases that you've heard at other places, okay? And I want to take them because I'm afraid that some of these words that we may have put into the wrong inbox. We have a wrong worldview about it, which is determining an incorrect behavior on the flip side. One of those that I want to talk about is this, is that we think that missions is a volunteer trip that you go on, okay? And so in our mind, what we think is we go to the back after the church talks about going on this mission trip, and we check our name in the box that we want to go. And then what we do is we get on this plane and we, well, terrible, but we get on this plane, all right, and we fly across to this big world over here and we go on a mission trip and that's missions. And so missions becomes something that if it fits into my schedule, then I'll do it. Missions becomes one of those things that if I have enough vacation at the end of the year, then I'll go do missions. If I can afford it, then I'll go do missions. But I want to tell you this, missions is not this two-week volunteer trip that we think of, okay? I want you to think of it like this. This little dot right here is, you know, when you pull up Google Maps or MapQuest, right? And you're plugging in an address, somewhere you're going to go, and it says that you are here. This is you. This is how I want you to think about missions. Look around. It's happening. You are here. You are sent right now. God sent you. As he sent the son and the son sent you, you are on missions right now. It's not a two-week thing that happens when you go across the world. It's not a trip. We're tripping on missions every day. That's how it should be. I want you to take your Bible. I want you to look in Acts. And we're going to look at... Some scriptures here in the book of Acts, chapter 17. 
And I want you to think of it this way, okay? Let's just, let's just make it really simple. God created the world for his glory. When sin happened, we fell short of his glory. And so God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to bring him glory. And someday, when the world ends, we will sit around the throne of God from people, with people from every tongue and tribe and nation. And what will we be doing? We will be singing glory to God. God is passionate about his glory. He's passionate about people knowing his glory. He's passionate about sending you to declare his glory. God is on a mission. And you're the agent. So let's look in Acts chapter 17. And let's read these verses. What's happening here is, is Paul is in a city called Athens. He's just left Timothy and Silas in another location. So he's hanging out on his own. Okay, And this is what the scripture says. It says, Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. And so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Listen, missions is this. Missions is what you do while you do what it is that you do. That's as profound as I can put it. So you might want to write that one down, okay? Missions is what you do while you do what it is that you're doing. It's not something that you, you put life aside and then you go do missions. You do it while you're on your way. See, Paul right now, he had just been on a mission trip, but now he's like, he's waiting. He's waiting for his mission team to arrive back so they can go do missions, right? But Paul is sitting here and he's waiting for his team. And he's looking around at the people and he sees that the city is full of idols. You see, Athens was this city that in its heyday, in the time of, of Socrates and, and Aristotle and, and, and so forth, that's what its heyday. And now Athens, the population has decreased and now it's about 10,000. But it said that in Athens that there were about 30,000 gods and idols. So as Paul is sitting there in Athens. You know what he's looking around and he's seeing? He's seeing that there's more idols than there are people. And it says that his heart broke, that it was disturbed, that his spirit was provoked within him. You know what he did? He went in and he began to sit down in the synagogue where people were hanging out and he talked with them. And then he went into the marketplace, it said, every day talking with whoever would happen to be there in the city. You know what he was doing? He was doing missions on his way to do missions. He was living sent with intentionality because he had a mission to accomplish for God. Now, let me be clear about two things, okay? One, I'm not saying that we're not going on volunteer mission trips ever again. I mean, the, you know what? They're, they're of the old. They don't really have purpose. They don't mean anything. That is not what I'm saying. Matter of fact, we have a team in Zambia right now. And you know what they're doing? They are being an extension of the missionaries that are there on the ground 24-7 all year long. They are helping them do and accomplish a job that it would take them much longer to do. That Our team is there and they're able to get it done much faster. We're going to be sending a team out in a couple of weeks to an unreached people group who do not have access and nor do they know the name of Jesus Christ. We still will go and do. But what happens is this. 
We think of it as a volunteer thing. It's not a volunteer thing. Volunteer is this. Volunteer is what you do at that 5K race, that charity organization. And when the event's over, you're done. It's what you do when you go to your kid's school and you help out the Christmas program, right? You volunteer. And when it's over, you're done. You don't go. You don't volunteer to go on a mission trip. You might relocate who you are for two weeks to another location. But when you come back, you should continue doing what it is that you should be doing, living sin on God. But what happens, I'm afraid, is we go and we have it put in the schema that missions is a trip and I packed my bags and I went and did that Jesus God thing for a couple of weeks to those poor people and helped them out and made them smile a little bit by handing out a balloon and a sucker. And then when I come back, I unpack my bag and I give the T-shirts and the curios to all my friends and my children and I dump the dirt out of my bag that I didn't mean to get in there on the trip and I put my bag up and then I just go back to life as normal. And never in Scripture does it say that that's what life is about. God is on a mission. And we are invited to participate with Him. And quite often what happens is we just get busy. Let's just be honest. I mean, we just... We just get busy. We don't look at our city and our heart breaks for the people that are around us. And I'll be confessing to you, I'm the same way. I mean, I do it here. I've done it even on mission trips. We went on a mission trip, okay, to the Amazon. And we're on a boat and we're there for a little over a week. And I'm really not happy with what's going on. I just feel like that we're not really accomplishing much. We're not making much of an impact. I don't really agree with the missionaries and their method of doing missions there. And so I'm really internally just frustrated. So I just kind of just do what you do, right? I mean, you're there. So you make the best of it. So we'd leave the boat and we'd walk through the village and we would get to this little open air school and we would meet with the kids there and then we'd go back to the boat because maybe we forgot something we'd go back to school and we would teach some more and we'd go back to the boat and several times a day boat to school boat to school back and forth all the time and i'm frustrated toward the end of the trip this lady comes to me and she hands me this ring and i see that it was carved out had my name carved in it i mean spelled correctly I mean, there's a lot of ways to spell my name. My name, is uh, the way I spell it, is correct, and they got it right, okay, right there. And I, I said, well, who, who gave, where'd this come from? And she said, that lady that's sitting down there underneath the tree. And I looked down there at that lady, and okay, so I got off the boat, and I walked down there, and I sat down on this old tire that we were, she was sitting on, and, and I just said, you know, you have to forgive me. I, I don't remember seeing you. At any of the times that we've met and that we've been teaching, have you been coming? And she said, no. She said, I was afraid to go to those meetings. But every day, you would pass my hut to the school, and you'd pass it again going to the boat, and you'd pass it to the school going again, and you'd pass it, and several times you would just pass it every day walking up and down. And every time you would pass my hut, I was standing out there with my children, and you would greet me. What she didn't know was I was really showing off the only Portuguese phrase that I knew. 
That's all I was doing. But you, you talked to me. And so I sat there underneath the tree on this tire. And I shared Jesus Christ with her. And she became a follower of Christ. And I would like to tell you that I went away just like celebrating and and like, man, this is so awesome. Somebody came to know Jesus Christ. The trip is now productive. And that isn't what happened. What happened is God rung my bell. And it was a very loud message to Lori McDaniel. But Lori, you better be about what I'm about constantly. While you're on your way to go do ministry, you better be doing ministry. While you're on your way to go over here and engage people, you better be about engaging people. While you're on your way over here to go and do your job, you better be about doing the job that I've called you to do. Look around. And so I wear this ring constantly as a reminder that I am sent now, tomorrow, and the following day, wherever I happen to be located. That's what missions is. Here's the second thing that I want us to get clear. That missions is not for the spiritual experts. Okay? What we think is, is that Mike has given us this challenge to go and invite someone. That's my husband. See, right there. Okay. To go and invite someone to come to Grace Point Church. And man, if we could accomplish that, our job is done. Check off the church mission gig. Point for me, score. And we put it into that box. It's the wrong box. See, the church puts out these things for you out there to go on a short-term trip, to challenge you to invite someone. Why? So that it becomes a habit in your daily life, not a one-time event. That's not what missions is. Missions is this. Missions is you, your little dot over here, and this little dot over here of somebody else connecting. That's supposed to be arrows. Connecting with each other. Paul had a different way of thinking. He had a different philosophy. He had a different way of teaching and people that he was in the marketplace and engaging every day knew it. And so they wanted to know more. They took him aside. Look with me in verse 19. And they said this. They said, and they, and they took him, who, which is Paul, and they brought him into the Areopagus, which is, which is a hill, okay, where, where they would go for meetings and, and where a council would meet. And this is what they said to Paul. May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears, and we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Skip down to verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens. Now, I want you to know this. If you keep, re- keep reading the passages, that you'll eventually find that he lists a woman's name and a man's name and became a believer. So we know it's not just men. There's a crowd of men and women that are there. Men of Athens. I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. And I found also an altar with this inscription. To the unknown God. 
So this I proclaim to you. Paul was different. He had embraced and engaged the people. They had questions they wanted to know. And they, he had an audience. And they set him down. And they began to ask him so that he could now proclaim to them. But you know how he did it? I love Paul is really smart. Because what he does is he connected where they already were. We call that, in a big word, we call it contextualization, okay? We contextualize any time that we teach the gospel, or we should. It's really easy when we think about it like this. In our preschool over here right now, we are contextualizing the gospel. That's why we don't have videos of Mike hooked up, and we're playing them for the kids to watch. Because they wouldn't understand it. So we contextualize the gospel so that they can understand it and that's what paul did he said to them hey look i perceive that you're very religious people in fact you've got all these gods i mean look around but i was walking among your streets and i saw this god who had this title on it that said the unknown god i mean it's like he was there just in case you forgot one well let me tell you about the one you forgot and see we can take this same concept and you can do it with people around you. I want you to think about people that you're around. Think about the people that sit in the cubicles around you. Think about the people that you go to school with. Think about the people that you stand at the bus stop with. Think of the people you're at the gym with. And you begin to have a conversation with them, maybe because they initiate it, because they just realize, you know what, there's something a little bit different about you going on here. I want you to tell me what's happening. Why? What's so different about what you're teaching? Or maybe you're having a conversation with them and you can take it just by asking questions up to the next level. And you can do what Paul did. And you can say, hey, I perceive, or you might not use that word, you might say something more like, hey, I'm aware. Or listen, I totally get where you're at. I I so see that you and your spouse are trying to work things out. I know you're wanting to have a good marriage. I can see that in you. But you're frustrated because you haven't figured out this love thing or the forgiveness thing, and you just don't know how. You know what? Let, let me tell you how I found love and forgiveness that's real. Or maybe you're having a conversation with, with somebody in business or something, and, and you say, you know what? Perceive, I'm aware I mean, I'm totally tracking with you, dude. I mean, you're smart. I mean, you get the investment things. You're constantly making quick decisions. You know how this works. But I just, I just sense there's something in you that it's just never enough. It's just you're, you get it, and then there's still not peace. There's still not the joy. I, I so get that. I, in fact, I've lived that. Let me, let me tell you where I've found joy and peace and love. In your doing that, let's do something. Just, just do me a personal favor, okay? Let's get over the Christianity culture thing, culture of Christianity thing. Let's get over that, that we present ourselves as something that is just can never be attained to. Christianity isn't some fantasy thing. I mean, let's be real. It's tough living your faith out, right? So let's just be real about it. Because they don't want some spiritual expert. You know who they want? They want real people with real struggles and real problems who are really trying to figure out how to live this life, who know how to find a real hope and a real peace and who follow a real God. 
You are the connection with them. I uh, had managed to make some friends with uh, some Hindu people. And we were playing tennis week by week and had struck up some conversation. I mean, we just lived life. We went sledding together. They had me in their home. We ate all kinds of curry and samosas and all kinds of things. And, and I had them into my home. And one day we're out on the tennis courts, and they're telling me a story about one of their friends who had a miscarriage, and they were deeply disturbed. And I, I, I heard this whisper, like, like the God whisper in your, in, in your heart, saying, Lori, you need, you need to see if you could ask if you could pray for them. And like some of us do, or maybe it's just me, I kind of had an argument with God in my head, went something like this, um, no. <laughs> and I start going through these thoughts. Gonna, are, you, are you crazy? I mean, they're going to think I'm crazy. They're going to think I'm weird. I may offend them. I may scare them off. They may, I don't, they may not be my friend anymore. What if we have tennis next, but they don't show back up again? And so I took that faith of leap. And you're thinking, no, you said that wrong, right? <laughs> no, I didn't. There's a leap. There's a faith to be had in that leap. And so I jumped. I leapt or fell or plummeted. I was going over the edge, okay? Because I said, hey, would it be all right if I pray for you and for her? And all of them said, oh, yes, would you? And so we gathered together out on this tennis court. In 30 seconds, 45 seconds, maybe max, I prayed for this person. And I made sure I prayed in Jesus' name. And we're done. It was over. Went home. They went home. We kept playing tennis, kept doing our thing, never really came back up again. Months went by. Several of them moved away. And I'm having a Facebook chat with one of them who had moved. And she said, just out of the blue, Lori, do you remember that day on the tennis court that you prayed? I said, yes, I remember. She said, when I pray, it's not like that. When you prayed, there was a power there that I couldn't explain. I'm thinking, me either. <laughs> you leap. You move forward. Because it's not about your glory, it's about God's, right? And you're the messenger, and you're the sent, and you are perhaps the only connection between them and anything related to God. I'd love to tell you that she's a Jesus follower. She's not. She didn't become a Jesus follower, but do you think that she met God in a different way that day. Yes, you win some, you may lose some. Leap. The last thing that I want for us to dispel and to dissolve in this whole concept about missions is this, is that missions, we think, is complicated. I don't know what that equals. But that's how we think about missions. It's so difficult. I don't really know how to do it. I don't know where to begin. No. 
It isn't. Okay? It's you and them plus God. Look with what with me with what Paul did in Acts verse 24. It's so simple. All I do is tell a story. Look at the look how easy these words are. He said this. He said, "The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in temples made by men." Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwellings. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. Do you hear the simplicity of the story that he told? It wasn't complicated. Now what I want to do before we look at it a little bit further, I want to draw out a couple of verses here. I'll point something out to you. Let's, I want you to look at verse 26 and 27, okay? In these verses, it says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, and he determined allotted periods and the boundaries from their dwellings. All right, now I want to bring up a world map here. I want you to look at that circle there. There are more people that live inside that circle, or yeah, inside that circle, than outside it on the earth. Now digest that for a second. That's a lot of people living in one small section of the earth. Now, that orange section, truly really simple, you may have heard it before, but it just kind of defines the 10 longitude line and the 40 longitude line. And in that square, what we call the 1040 window, are where most of the unreached people live who have little or absolutely no access to the gospel whatsoever. You heard the Halls share about their journey. Three billion people there. Now, sometimes we think missionaries are those people that they give up everything, they quit their jobs, and they move to go somewhere else. You know what? In those places right there, we can't get hardly any missionary religious visas. But you can get work visas. So here's a novel idea. Don't quit your job. Relocate. Take what you do and go do it somewhere else. You know what happens then? What you do local now becomes global. Let's, let's bring it in a little closer, okay? A little tighter. I want you to see some statistics we're going to throw them up there. 38 million people living in the USA are foreign-born. And my little child born in Africa is one of them. But 38 million living here. And you know what? That is growing exponentially. 
11 million of them living here in the United States are Asian people that have relocated here to America. 750,000 international students will attend American universities right now, this year. 75% of them will never be invited into an American home. And 85% of them will pack up their bags, they will go home, having never come to a church. Now, when you look at that, I don't know what it is that you see. Listen, I'm a patriot. My, husband, my, my son is in the army. We have an American flag hot flying outside of our home. Listen, I get the whole American thing. I am one, but I'm also a citizen of heaven. And my king is God. And you know what he's doing? He's sending people to my backyard that don't know him. Take another look around the city. You know that Arkansas is the third Largest and fastest growing state with immigrants coming to it. You've got a message that they need to know. And you don't have to pack up for two weeks to go and do it. You can live sent right here. And it's not just the foreign, it's your buddies at work that have the same skin color as you, who live in the same neighborhood as you. Global is now local. You know, I was speaking to a couple of friends of mine in the past two months, and we were talking, one of them said, you know, there's a a lady who comes to my bus stop. She's not from America. And I said, well, do you ever talk to her? And she said, no, I don't ever talk to her. I don't know what to say. I emailed somebody else last week and said, hey, I'm really praying about engaging this people group. You want to pray about it with me? She said, you know what? I've got someone from that people group living across my street. But I don't ever go over there and talk to them because I'm afraid I might offend them. I think that we err on the side of safety a lot more than we jump into danger of offending. Let me just take the weight off your shoulders a little bit. It's not about you. So how could you possibly fail? Yet somehow we come to know Christ, we experience God's glory, and then we hijack the rest of the story. And it does seem like it becomes about us and where we live and what we want, how much we make and what we want to do with our life and where we want our kids to go to school and what they're going to be when they grow up. And you know what? All those things are completely fine, completely fine. But you know what? As you're just doing those things, do missions on the way because while you want your kid to excel in that sport, I guarantee you there are people that are in that sport who do not know Christ. And you're the connection point. You are sent. And it isn't about you. Unless, of course, we think of it this way, when we get to heaven, well, then, you know, it's about God then, because, of course, the Bible says when we die, it's gain, right? What about the first part of that verse when it says to live is Christ? Caleb, my oldest son, when he was younger, he was a dreamer. And he told me one day, he said, I am going to be the first person to climb Mount Everest, And I thought, "Um, son, 
I think somebody's already climbed Mount Everest. No, Mom. I know that there are people who have climbed Mount Everest, but they've died. Nobody has ever made it to the top, and I'm going to be the first one to make it to the top. Caleb, somebody has done that. No, Mom. And so I had to get out like a real-life picture book, you know, and show him the word that Edmund Hillary in 1953, he summited Mount Everest. He's the first guy who made it, and he lived. And Caleb, he wasn't like thrilled because somebody had conquered it. He just hung his head and he said, well, there goes my glory. (laughs) We may not say that we live for our glory, but come on, let's just be real with each other. I mean, I do. There are days, times, moments. That's, That's pretty much what I'm concerned about is me. I want to challenge you when you read the scriptures. When you come to words like these, I want you to underline them. These words, my glory, my name, for my sake, for the nations, so all people will know. And I want you to underline them out the side. I want you to write, it's all about him. There are so many that your pages are going to fill up words on the side of those pages. You're going to start seeing, it's all about him. It's all about him. It's all, it's all about him. God is on a mission And I think that Satan would be very content for us to think, to go on a two-week mission trip. Go! And when you come back, make sure that you put your suitcase back in in the 50 weeks of the other part of the year that you don't live being sent. He would be okay with that, I think. Piper has a quote. I know Mike has used it before. I love it. Think of it. In the context of this, that when the world ends and we're worshiping before God, where it says in Revelations that there will be people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation worshiping him. Think of it in this context. Missions exist because worship doesn't. When this age is over and the countless millions fall before the throne, millions will be no more. But worship will abide forever. Worship is the goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because we simply aim to bring the nations into the white, hot enjoyment of God's glory. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking this. You're thinking, Lori, you make it sound so easy, but it's not easy. I'm, 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 I'm small and inadequate. And I would tell you this. God would agree with you on that assessment. He's quite well aware that you are small. And he's also very certain, certain that he's big. And he's quite confident in his power. And he is assured that he can do the task. And he's very passionate about his glory being known. So if you're going to look at yourself and you're going to assess who you are in your smallness, let's be fair and look at God and assess who he is in his bigness. And let's keep, when we hear words like mission trip and volunteer and go and tell, that we keep it in the right schema. We keep it in the right worldview because if we keep it in the right place we will behave accordingly 
going to sing some songs together. And the words are going to be something like this. How great is our God. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Some of you may be sitting on the edge going, I'm not sure my hope is found in Jesus Christ. You know what? We can settle that today. Or we can talk about it further. I'm going to be sitting right here. You come and you find me and I, we'll, we'll journey this together. Or some of you may think, you know what? I know Jesus Christ, but I've just kind of shrunk the power of him in my life. We're going to read these scriptures out loud together. And I want you to notice these words that are highlighted. He chose us to be in him before the foundation of the world for what? Read the next one with me. But all have sinned and fall short of his glory. He will blot out our sin for his name's sake. He will remember them no longer. For this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. It is not for your sake that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. And all the nations will know that I am the Lord. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Praise the Lord, all nations. Glorify him, all peoples. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever.